0: Thank you for tuning into a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy! Welcome to Centerpoint Church. Again, my name is Aaron Master, and I'm a pastor here. If you've never been before, you may notice we're a bit different than a traditional church, but we want want you to know we're still true to the Bible. We take God seriously, and we want to encourage you to take the next step in your relationship with God every week we're here. Uh, We are a church that are intentionally set to reach those who are unchurched, and you might see that throughout the message today. But if you're wondering the answer is no, no we don't, don't We don't have a petting zoo every week, we don't have a DJ or food or bounce houses every week, but we do like to keep you kind of guessing of what's going to happen here next, so we always have something in the works it seems. But if today you're just visiting, it's a special Sunday that we call Fondy Fest. Our service is like it always is, but it's meant to be a fun event afterwards for you and your friends to kind of rally on back to church this fall, to give you some extra time to reconnect with those that maybe you haven't seen for a while or just meet someone new for the first time. So be sure to stick around for some of that extra fun afterwards. This week, as JC said, we're kicking off a new series and it's called Peace of Mind. And what we're doing is we're looking for direction on how to experience peace in our minds specifically. Anybody need that today? Like, anyone have anxious or worry-filled thoughts all the time? Or anyone filled with fear? Or insecure about themselves? Or unsure about who they are? Or stressed, like, a lot? Anyone depressed? If you're feeling any of that, you're in the right place because we are going to be looking to the Bible for direction on how to relieve some of that type of thinking so that we can have more peace. There's a book um, I'll be referring to throughout the series. It's called Attacking Anxiety and it's written by a pastor named Sean Johnson and right away in his book, he tells his readers, if you're feeling any of those thoughts, know that you're not crazy, you're not alone, and this will end. Again. He says, you're not crazy, you're not alone, this will end. That's my hope for you today to hear right away. Some of you maybe just really need to hear that. You might really need to just hear that right now. This happens to normal people. It's prevalent in lots today, and there is help for you if you're one of those people. But what is that help? What is that help? And specifically, if there's help from the creator of the universe or God, I don't know about you, but I want that over prescriptions or over some new age, new age way of thinking of things or whatever that new experimental thing is. Don't you? I mean, don't get me wrong or don't hear me wrong. There is absolutely places for medication and outside help and research. But shouldn't we also involve God? Don't you think the creator of peace would desire for us to experience it more? Like more than we are experiencing right now. Jesus says this in John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So that's what we're going to be looking at today, like how to overcome with Jesus. And specifically what we're going to look at today is anxiety or anxious thinking. So that's what we're specifically looking at. But anxiety, how it's defined in the dictionary is this, a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Now, looking at that definition, you might be thinking, what's the difference between being diagnosed with anxiety and just being... I guess an adult with worry, right? Like, I I say that with a light laugh because in this room today, I know there are people from multiple generations, perspectives, and backgrounds here. Some who maybe struggle with intense anxiety disorders, and some who are just trying not to worry so much today. In the room, you could be one on one side of the spectrum. You have a perspective maybe from 50 years ago where people were more like this when it came to mental health. I'm just gonna double check your form here. Ron? You redacted all the information. I answered some of them. For date of birth, you wrote springtime. Which is true. Everything you write down is confidential. We need you to give real answers. Fine. Do you exercise? Yes, Love making and woodworking. Do you have any history of mental illness in your family? I have an uncle who does yoga. Allergies? Cowardice and weak-willed men. And hazelnuts. Okay. Now this is meant to be comical, not a real perspective one should have, but but years ago it was more like this, right? If you're sad, if you're stressed, if you're worried, rub some dirt on it. Which by the way, don't read into that clip too much, I think yoga is just fine too. But then on the other end of the spectrum, there are some extreme hurts and dysfunction and pain that are caused by mental illnesses. And without someone actually seeking professional help, medication, or being diagnosed with anxiety, they may not be here today. Because mental health struggles, they're real and they're prevalent. So those are like kind of the two extremes people would maybe be at. But this brings us to a real question today of what's the difference between someone who just needs to navigate worry-filled thoughts and someone who has medically diagnosed anxiety. Looking at a Harvard journal, um, I think it's honestly kind of still quite fluid. Now, I'm no doctor, so take this research I did with a grain of salt, but it says things like this in that article. It's like, normal levels of anxiety lie on one end of the spectrum and may present as low levels of fear, apprehension, mild sensations of muscle tightness and sweating, or doubts about your ability to complete a task. Diagnosable anxiety disorders occur when anxiety levels rise enough to rapidly decrease performance and cause impairment. And then anxiety disorders are characterized by severe, persistent worry that is excessive for the situation and an extreme avoidance of anxiety-provoking situations. And then other articles state things like this. They would say, like, uh, like a time, what's the difference? Worry and anxiety, like times of being, uh, feeling stress or beginning to feel stress and then worry and then eventually goes away where anxiety, it's like you're rapidly stressed and the feeling kind of maintains. Another article says stuff like this, like, 2016 uh, research from that connects anxiety to uncertain or vague threats like not knowing if you'll be accepted or rejected for a job. As I read that, it's blurry still, right? Of whether you could have a serious anxiety-prone disorder or you have just a lot of worry-filled and anxious thoughts. The National Mental Health Institute, it says 31% of people uh, at some point in their life will have an actual anxiety disorder. That's pretty high, as that's either you or one of the people next to you. So again, would you say you have excessive worry? You might be like, I don't know, I'm kind of a blurry line between the two right now. And if that's what you're thinking, I want you to know that's right where I am as well. For the sake of today, uh, and for those that maybe have worry and actual anxiety, I want us to sit in the middle of the two and see what God says to attack it. To make it easier for us today, though, to do this, I want to define anxiety uh, as this, as consistent, unnecessary worry. I think when it's stated like that, uh, and to be frank with you, I definitely have anxiety. I definitely do. To be open and just give you a little perspective on me and my mind, my anxiety, my anxious thinking, it fluctuates on a pendulum, on a worry spectrum, it seems. For me, it, it, sometimes it'll start to be about my, my body, for example. It'll start inside. I'll look down and I won't see abs I'll start worrying about my fitness or lack thereof, then my food intake, then my last doctor report where he said I had high blood pressure, then the probability of maybe me having something terminal, I'll find like this lump on my body and that as a male, it's like not a fun thing to find, but then you can't stop touching it or thinking about it and then Googling it and then everything Google says points you to some rare cancer that nobody has even though your doctor says you're fine, but I worry. Then it can move for me, it could go to another worry, such as, is my family happy? Is my family happy today? Am I, am I a good dad? Am I setting my kids up for success? Am I doing something that could harm their future? How about Sydney, my wife? Is she happy? Is she stressed? Like, am I helping make her life better? Is our marriage good? Are we good? Am I providing enough money for my family to thrive? Am I home enough? What will we do if we can't pay the bills? We have a savings, but but what if our car dies and the medical bills stack up and I have to pay for something that takes all my time, all my ability to work, and all our finances? Then it maybe moves to work for me. Mine being at church, it's spiritual. Like, am I listening to God enough? What if I can't hear Him anymore? What if, I'm, what if I'm not treating people well? What if I'm not leading people to Christ-likeness in ways he wants? Did I say something offensive to that person the other day? How do I navigate the 50 different opinions of different things people have? That person's frowning. Are they unhappy or are they just resting? What if church declines? Again, that's me with work. And then it goes to others. What if my friendships decline? What if we lose support of extended family? What if people start attacking me or my family negatively? What if I'm alone? And on and on and on. Again, it's probably not fun to hear a pastor share that with you, but these are real thoughts of mine that come and go, that can be intense at times and can also be of no big deal. But when they're prevalent, it is no fun. To go one level deeper with you, when the worry gets intense for me, it'll start in my head. But then if I don't address it, it starts to go to my stomach and it's this uneasy feeling. And then your heart rate, and then your breathing, and then your whole body can start just being shaky. Can you relate at least a little bit to maybe having intense worry? And to make, make it even worse for me personally, and the struggle with all this, is, is as a Christian, I look to the Bible, and Jesus says this in Matthew 6.25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry. But I do. But I do. It makes me feel like a bad Christian, nevertheless a bad pastor. What about you? Do you worry? Do you have anxious thoughts? Do you have some sort of maybe anxiety? It's part of just being human, like in a sense, because normal levels of worry are healthy. As a Christian, to have just a general sense of concern for things is not a sin. Debate me on that later if you disagree. But for example... If you know the kitchen faucet is left on at your home by your kid, and you're driving away, not worried, that's just ignorance. It's just ignorance. I'm sorry. Or if you're a little guy like me, and you start bumping into big dudes on purpose, and you're not concerned about leaving with a black eye, That's just ignorance, right? That's just ignorance. There's a balance, a mixture of worry and concern that helps us function. But if we find ourselves heading into this category of consistent, unnecessary worry, even now and then, like I described for myself, I think we need to at least start looking for God's guidance. And that's just a starting point. You might find that you need professional counseling and medical help. But when I look to Jesus, I think he actually shows us through his actions during a stressful time on how to attack anxiety or consistent unnecessary worry. And what's interesting is it's actually a very similar prescription as what that pastor talks about in that book, Attacking Anxiety. So where we're going to spend the rest of our time today is actually in Luke 22. Luke is a gospel. It's an account of Jesus' life. And chapter 22 is, is kind of near the end of that gospel. So that means we're looking towards the end of Jesus' life, which was, it would be about like age 30, 33. He's starting to feel the weight of his life and purpose at that point. As I paused on that thought, I realized personally, it seems the more I've aged, the more I tend to feel the weight of life or have anxiety about things. Worry used to just be about school and friends and grades. Then it was money and making the right future plans. Then marriage and health and work and big bills. And then navigating relationships, one with people you like and one with people you don't like. And then add kids in. Yikes. Yikes. Or people who are dependent on you, and then each one you add is like a whole other level of worry, it seems. Which I wish I did this message a few months ago and processed this all because my wife and I were expecting our third. Um, so if I'm not stressed yet, we're having another one in the mix. But life gets more and more worry filled as you go on. But where Luke 22 picks up is Jesus is past the newness of his ministry. He's got his following. He's performed amazing miracles and teachings that have changed lives. He has a close-knit group of friends, the disciples or the apostles. He has relationships with both the ones who like him and dislike him. But he stayed the course on his purpose. And then what we see first in chapter 22 is this. His friend plans to betray him. It says this, uh, And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. And after this, a Passover meal happens, or the Last Supper with his friends. The other Gospels show that Jesus still dines with this person who's betraying him, even knowing this. So that's got to be an awkward dinner, right? But that wasn't it. That wasn't it that caused stress for him. What happens next is this. It says when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, "I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God." He's predicting his death to come soon. Jesus says things like, "Eat bread, drink wine to remember him." And after the meal, I'm, I'm sure most of the guys are like in a bit of a food coma because they just celebrated Passover. You'll see why I say that in just a second. But what happens next is the part I want you to listen closely on. It says this. Then, accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, pray that you will not give into temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel of heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more feverantly, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Do you see it? Jesus is experiencing a very human emotion here. He's experiencing what I think we defined as anxiety. He's fearful He's in agony of mental and physical pain. He's sweating. He has concern for the future events ahead. It says he then at least or at last he stood up again and returned to the disciples, only to find them asleep. Told you a food coma, right? Not really. It says this: they were exhausted from grief. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. The last verse we're looking at it says this: while he was still speaking a crowd as in soldiers came up and the man who was called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him and Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? And then what we see happen next is Jesus is betrayed, he's arrested, he's tried, he's tortured, he's killed all willingly because he knew this was his calling, this was his destiny. What we see in this chapter though is Jesus is, in, is he's dealing with an intense amount of stress, worry, and anxiety about what's to come. And unlike a lot of our anxiety today, it actually came to fruition. It happened. I did a message about a year ago that said, um, Penn State did a statistic or a survey that says, only about 8% of our worries actually happen. That means 92% of them do not. But in this situation, Jesus' worry It did. Yet he was perfect. And he handled his anxiety in a way that allowed him to function the way he needed to. To fulfill his purpose and his duty as a person. And in a way that is actually replicable by us individually. As you hear that, don't you want that? Don't you want to live out your calling for God without restraint? Without excessive nervousness or fear or worry? Do you want to be able to overcome anxiety and face what's ahead for you? I know I do. So when we start digesting this passage, I think when we look at the peak of Jesus' worry, anxiety, or nervousness, however you want to define it, the first thing we can see that he does to control it is he worships. He worships. Look at what happens when he went to the Mount of Olives after dinner. It says, he walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down. He knelt When was the last time you knelt for god kneeling it's a sign of respect and humility when was the last time you knelt or in other words worshiped and not as in like i said a few words in a song at church but you worship god for being god not because the music at church was amazing not worshiping the creation of god or nature by saying it's beautiful But by putting yourself in a position that declares, God, you are greater and mightier and you know better than me. When was the last time something like that happened for you? For me, I love God. I love Sunday's music that we have here. I even love worship music during the week. But it is easier for me to shrink God down and let my worries cloud my mind before I worship and let those words resonate. There's a quote. It says this, uh, anxiety is temporary atheism. If you're living with anxiety, you are living in a state without God in his rightful and worshipful place. You're living without trust in him. Oh, right? That is a knife in the chest, at least for me. But that's what happens in anxiety you don't see God as God as the one who knows all things, is all-powerful, is the one who wants good for your life. And although he allows for us to go through crummy and undesirable stuff, his promise is he will always make things good for us at the end of our life when we are united with him. To combat anxiety and to re-put your confidence in God today, you need to actually maybe kneel to him. Sure, you can kneel in a lot of different ways. Like physically, you could kneel down. But when your mind is spinning out of control, your body is maybe shaking, and you can barely think, I think the best thing for you to to kneel is playing worship music and worshiping. Not just putting a worship playlist on in the background, but worshiping God by declaring who he is to you, as in meaning the statements you sing. There's a lot of songs that we sing because we like the statement that is, that's in the song or the mood it creates for us. For fun, I looked up some of the most famous lyrics of all time. I wanna see if you know some of these songs. How about this first one? Elvis Presley. Feeling the love mood. How about this one? Come on, no one's dancing? A little Whitney Houston. How about this one? Adele. Or maybe you're just dealing with some tough stuff, and it's this one. It's Shake It Off. Like, I'm mad. I'm just shaking it off. I'm just shaking it off. These were anthems for some of us because you were in it, and it fit your mood. That's why you liked it. Growing up, I was a, a 90s kid, and I was kind of a punk So I used to listen to music that fit my mood, like the angst that I was in, so like Puddle of Mud, Blurry, It was like angry. Take it all away, take it all away. Or Linkin Park, like in the end, I tried so hard and got so far, but in the end, it doesn't even matter, like just angry. But these songs and these lines, they fit my mood, and they kept me in the mood I wanted to be in. What I'm proposing today is, what if we use worship in another way? What if we use worship or worship music to alter our mood to worship, to alter us from worry to worship? For example, here are a few songs we sing today in church, like Gratitude. Like You start singing this song, and this is in your mind. Or maybe this one, like, we just sang this song, and you actually mean it. These songs are full of statements that usually repeat and repeat and repeat, and at times you might be annoyed by the repeating over and over and over again in church sick of standing for so long or whatever, but, but it's purposeful. Repeatable songs that are rooted in scriptural truth are meant to be real statements that you can state so that you can start fully believing them about God. When you don't just hear them sung or put your 10 minutes in on worship, singing or reading words off the screen, but when you actually say them and believe them, it will remind you to get back on your knees to worship to attack anxiety, you might need to start worshiping more. We want to set you up for success to do this. So this, we made a, pl- a worship playlist um, that we're going to be sending in my email. Fill out a connect card if you'd like that. Um, I'll send in my email this week, but it will give you it via YouTube or Spotify. But that's something that could help you attack anxiety. And that'll come out this week. The next thing uh, we see Jesus does is he prays. Uh, Check this out. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Let's look at that prayer again. He's saying, God, help, basically. Please take this pain, this worry, this struggle, this thing that is causing unrest away from me. But I want your will, your desire first. Jesus Jesus is saying, "I, I don't want this, what's going on. Help but we'll handle it together if I have to. Do you pray that way? Or are your prayer is more like, God, fix my problem. Help me, heal me, help. Stop that person. Give me, and maybe please at the end, right? But to add in, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. E, that's bold. That's scary. Because when you worship him and you see him as this authority or greater, and then state... Well, your direction is next, or where you want me to go. Oh, that means you've given up control. But when you truly embrace that statement, there's no need to worry. Because it's not ignorance anymore, but you're giving the control to God. Now, it's important to clarify. It doesn't mean you just let everything that presents itself today to you happen to you. Like, if a friend was like, hey, we're going to walk this way, you're going to walk... Through Legos and mouse traps, They're like we're just gonna walk this way. Come follow me. It's gonna be fun. If it's your will, God. Right? No. That is not God's will when you could just walk around, right? <laughs> or or for example, maybe maybe you get a message on your phone. And someone, someone came into your life and you're like, I've just been praying about someone to come into my life and all of a sudden they dropped into my DMs and it must be fate even though this person is not what I'm looking for at all. They don't seem essential for what I'm looking for in a real marital type relationship so I, I, I just can't. You don't just let life happen to you. You still have to move. You still have to discern. You still have to use godly wisdom. But then once that's been done, you can rest stating, your will, God, I will keep moving forward. That's a prayer that eases worry. To go a bit further with you about prayer, check out what this says in Philippians 4, 6-7. through It says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. It's saying, don't worry. Pray. Tell God what you need. Thank Him. And experience His peace as you accept what's going to go on in your life next. Again, prayer helps you reorient your life. It controls anxiety. And specifically in this passage, it says, thank him. And the context of this verse is when you're worried or when you're worrying, you should thank God. Did you know, like brain scientists, they state that you cannot experience the effects of gratitude or give thanks, and you can't experience that while also experiencing anxiety or worry, You can't experience the two at the same time. They use the same type of neurotransmitters. So they can't be activated at the same time. So if you want to stop anxiety, give a prayer of thanks. Can you imagine the mindset change that happens? Like if when you're worried about something, you pray to God and you thank him for something else. Like when you're anxious about your health, you thank God for life. When you're anxious about your kids, you thank God for them. When you're anxious about your work, you're thankful about the ability to do work. You see, when you pray and communicate to God with thanks during anxious thinking, it helps you realize you still have a lot to be thankful for. When you start praying that way, it forces you to have a different perspective, a perspective of thanks instead of a perspective of entitlement. Somehow, a Christian person, we tend to think we just deserve a good life. We just, we think that. I mean, I get it. We have like neighbors and coworkers and friends that aren't followers of God or, or they maybe are seen as like lesser godly people to us and it's like, seriously, God? Seriously? They have it? Don't I deserve something more? They, they're not dealing with the same stresses as me. That's not fair, God. Have you ever thought that about someone? That God owes you for your faithfulness to him? That we deserve a good and comfortable life? This is our American way of looking at life. How does the motto go in America? It's, it's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's amazing marketing for a country, right? But it's an incorrect way of thinking when you know the Bible. He has gifted us with the start of life. He has gifted us with the grace for our wrongs to continue on with life. He has gifted us with opportunities for joy and happiness. All of life is a gift. We deserve none of those. When we see life that way, we can call out our entitlement and just thank God for today. And our worry for tomorrow seems minor. For you to start doing that and getting in the mindset of it, maybe you need to just start praying. You don't pray. Maybe you need to start praying. Simply saying, hey God, thanks for today. I am thankful for what you've given me. Help me keep going. Amen. That could be it for you. That could be a start for you. I'll be real with you. I'm a pastor, right? I hate the idea that prayer is the answer to my anxious thinking. Because my mind's moving like a million miles a minute when I'm anxious. I don't want to stink and stop worrying and pray. I've got reasons that I'm thinking this fast, and I have reasons to worry. But maybe the point of prayer is my mind shouldn't be moving, period. It should just be still, like Jesus was in that situation, and then thankful. Maybe for you, like, you need to, you, need, you pray, like, personally, you pray often, but you need to analyze your prayers. Are they you prayers, or are they ending with statements, may your will be done? Maybe for you, you need to start praying with gratitude. Again, when Jesus was stressed or anxious, he worshiped, and then he prayed. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking right now. This seems so basic, I was hoping for some real tools, like really Aaron, like worship and prayer, that's the answer so far, that's what you got for me. I mean, it is what we saw Jesus do, right? So far, that is what we saw Jesus do. And it's also what the book recommends, but I know what you're thinking, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. So I want to share how it actually has worked in my own life with you for a second. A cause for a lot of my anxiety for me lately is the future of taking care of my family, my wife and I, we have both had like these unique medical things recently that certainly they could become life-altering or could have been life-altering, like fighting for our lives and spending a lot of time in hospitals. At least that was the worry. Neither, neither of our situations uh, ended with anything for further concern. But as someone who, who has worry, me, let's just say the anxiety of waiting in these situations for an answer hit hard. That, the what-ifs, the then-whats, the how-will-we, and on and on and on. And then the scenarios of like, what if, what if one of us would no longer be here in our family? What would that mean in our family? It'd be a nightmare. It'd be hard. Again, started the crumble. But then someone called me out. You're a Christian. Not only that, you're a pastor, Aaron. And I realized I shouldn't worry this much. And I started to regain my perspective of God, as in he's greater, he's bigger, all-powerful. And I bowed by starting to worship him, to worship him, listening to songs that say, great are you, Lord, the battle belongs to you, I'll praise you anywhere, whatever the song is. And then I prayed with thanks for the time that I've gotten with my family, period. And added the request of, may your will be done. May what you think is best be what happens and have me be comfortable with that. And it worked. I can't say like poof, the worry never reappeared because it did. But a continuous process and act of this is what has, what has changed and calmed my worry. But I wouldn't have gotten there without this third thing. And it's one that I think is so necessary. We don't see Jesus model it completely because he's God and he knows what's best. But for us, it's to have a mentor. It's to have a mentor or a person or people who will remind you. In our passage, Jesus, and and he had his disciples, kind of, that were there with him. So he sort of had this. Um, But when he went to go and pray, pray, it says this. Then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, pray that you will not give into temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. Jesus was the mentor, right? But who's near you in your prayers? Who's near you when you're anxious? Who is a stone's throw away? There's a difference, right? There's a difference about being a five-minute car ride away from someone than maybe a text message away or a phone call away. Who is close to you like within five minutes from you? that can see when you're worried, that can read your facial expressions, that knows you, that can be with you in your anxious thinking and mentor you. When I'm worried or dealing with issues, if I didn't have support, I would be a wreck. I would be a wreck. And I get I'm losing a lot of man respect right now because I feel like men, we tend to be like, I'm a man, like I got this, I don't need anyone, I got this. But what if we actually had someone to help us calm our anxious thinking or at least remind us of those first two steps often. I mean, it could start with the most basic, even though the most like grotesque things as a man, but mentorship helps. Recently, this is a true story, um, I messaged an older friend, hey, I've been more smelly lately. <laughs> I'm using deodorant, it's just not working as well anymore for some reason. Is this part of becoming an old man is what I, what I asked? He didn't really have a great reason for me, but he gave me some support. I asked another friend another day, the other day, hey, this is kind of where my family is at financially. Is that on the right track of like where you think we should be? I asked a church planning pastor, "Like this is the type of difficulties I'm dealing with right now. Is this normal? And they helped give me another unworried perspective that helps me keep moving on with my life without being so worried. Research, it points to a high probability of making wrong decisions, indecisions, or undesirable decisions when we are worried. If we had someone who could relieve some of that stress, what could that mean for making better decisions in our marriages then? Or parenting, or work quality, if we didn't experience that worry as much and had someone? Things in our society could drastically change Do you have a friend, a family member, a coach, a mentor? One of the greatest, most tangible things that has helped me in my anxious thinking is I have multiple mentors. I have a pastor, do you? I have some close family that I'm open with, do you? I have two or three church planning mentors or work mentors, do you? I have friends in the mix of marriage and parenting that are similar stages as me, that get me. Do you have that? What usually happens is, is I go to them. Am I missing something here? Am I missing something of why I should be worried? Am I off? Should I be this worried? And they can usually see through the anxious fog and call it out as it is. Again, do you have that? Out of this message, I kind of want to birth, or at least start the idea of a new ministry here at Centerpoint. I think I think we need mentors. I think we need mentors. we need a place where people can seek mentors that are just a stone throw away or here in Fond du Lac. If you are full of anxiety, maybe a godly mentor is exactly what you need. If you're full of prayer and gratitude and worship, maybe becoming a godly mentor to others is exactly what God has been grooming you for and how you could serve here at this church. Do one of those descriptions fit you? If so, I'd love for you to fill out a connect card and write one there. I need a mentor or I'm ready to mentor others. As I'm getting close to wrapping up, though, we saw Jesus has peace of mind after this moment in Luke 22. Do you want that in your worry? If so, which one do you need to start doing? Is it worshiping? Is it praying? Is it finding a mentor? I hope one of these stick out to you clearly. But if the idea of involving God in your life to help you deal with worry filled thoughts is new, or the idea of even seeing God and direction on life and anything is new to you, I want you to know God wants to connect with you personally. If you've never started a personal relationship with Jesus and and connected with him, it simply starts by saying in your head and most importantly your heart, like, God, I know I'm not perfect. I need your direction. I see you as God and I know I am not I know you sent Jesus to be the sacrifice so that I can be with you one day. I want to follow you. And when you make a statement like that or similar to that, you're not only starting a relationship with Jesus, becoming a Christian, but you are also doing some of the initial steps to start attacking anxiety by having God to worship, to pray to, and to give you godly mentors. If you want to pray that to God right now or to pray to have God help you with your anxiety, you can pray with me right now. Hey God, thank you for today. God, some of us right now are saying, we have never gone to you for, for anything. And right now we're saying, God, we want to start a relationship with you. We want your comfort, your peace, your forgiveness, your grace. We know you, you, may, you paid a sacrifice so that you can make things right for us again. But God, now we want, to, we want to pursue you. We want a relationship with you. We want to follow you. Guide us in our life. And then God, some of us right now are saying, we're struggling with worry. God, help us get past this worry. Help us look to Jesus' example to get past worry. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.